0: Welcome to my Wax Museum. This is the first episode of my Wax Museum. And uh, with my first guest, my good buddy, Seth Payne. Say hello there, Seth. Hello there. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's my man. Okay, so so the premise, as I explained to you of this podcast, is to show people that there are interesting people all around them. And that you don't have to look so much to celebrities to have an interesting life right because you are not a celebrity are you seth
1: i am not but my mother would disagree
0: oh well that makes sense you are the favorite child from what i understand so
1: from what i've told you yeah (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) okay so so basically i want to start how do we how do we know each other seth um so As I
1: remember it, we were both working for the same company, Tower Cleaners, and it was 2016. Mm -hmm. I was doing routes as a delivery driver, and you were a clerk working at a store down south. Dang right. I was the best they had. You were pretty good. Yeah. And uh, so I walk in one day kind of rushing because... Once I had finished the route with Alex's stores, I was going to be able to go home. And I am a young man, and I just wanted to be done with work. Yep. But I walked into the store and met this very friendly young person. And we started talking about Pokemon Go.
0: And yeah, actually, was that our first conversation? That was
1: our very first conversation. I mentioned to you, like, hey, do you, do you play Pokemon Go? And he's like, yeah, I do. I, I'm I'm the blue team. I was like, oh, so am I. Yeah. And that's where we started. And I think I asked for your phone number the second time I came to visit. And we didn't really chat uh, apart from work stuff until you became a driver and we started becoming better friends. And then you told me would be moving into the area of the city where I live. Yeah. And ever since then, we've been spending time with each other every single week.
0: Yeah, actually. I've se- I've seen you pro- almost every week since I've moved up north. Yeah. 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 And... Yeah, so that was like a year after we met that we actually became good friends, I think, when, when I became a driver, and um, that was good times, actually. That was really fun. I, uh, I really enjoyed being a driver in the hot, hot summer.
1: Yeah, because there was a period of time when I was able to, to train Alex as well, and that uh, that was a good defining moment of both of our careers at that company at that
0: point. That was a defining moment of you just said that was a defining moment of our careers. I, I meant I meant it because yeah.
1: at in that when well, we had a lot of conversations about work and skills and where we wanted to go and I that's true. And I decided I was like I no longer want to be a delivery driver. I want to do something else with my life. And so I moved on and I did other things. And the same day that I gave my two weeks notice in, Alex also gave us two weeks' notice, and so we, we both quit yeah.
0: on the same day. and We were good, too. They wanted us.
1: They wanted us to stay, but we were too good to be held down by, by
0: minimum wage. It's true. Well, we were making a little more, but yeah. And the, uh, the thing is with this podcast, it's, it's okay to brag, because the whole point of this is to talk about how cool and interesting all sorts of different people are. Uh, that i just that i just know from my very normal average life so uh yeah working at tower cleaners with seth was pretty chill i remember one time uh, i was when i was living in my car you had i went and slept at your place and then we drove to work together in the morning yeah that was that was was a lot of fun that was awesome we went what did we do that night
1: Oh, you came over because we're going to an activity that was being held in Carbon Park. We were going to the FHE in Carbon Park. Right, right, right. And we were just like, well, I mean, if you're coming to, like, take me to Carbon Park, just stay at my house tonight. And then we can go to work together
0: tomorrow morning. And it was was awesome. Yeah, that worked out really well, actually. And Seth has a very comfortable couch. If anybody uh, comes to Calgary, he's not renting it out so you'll have to find a different place to stay (laughs) okay so that's that's how we know each other and the funny thing is is we would have met eventually anyways probably i mean you didn't sway me to move up north at all
1: well i'd been persuading you to like hang out with me and yeah
0: and then we (laughs) never
1: hung out but but that was the thing like living If anyone's familiar with the geography of Calgary, if you have a friend who lives in Mackenzie Town, which is deep south, and you live in an area up north, like in Royal Oak, you will never meet because it is a 40-minute drive. Yeah, more than that. More than that. In rush hour, it's two hours to go and see a good buddy.
0: Yeah, which is, I mean, are you really that good of friends that you want to drive that far, right?
1: That's like going to another city just to see a friend. I mean, they'd have to
0: be a great friend. Yeah, and you can't do that with any frequency either way. No. Right? Unless you're into doing that sort of thing, I guess. But I don't know. Uh, So so tell us a bit about your past. The format of the show is to start your past, work towards your present, and and then get on, get on to the future, which is always my favorite part of any conversation. Is just talking about the future that we'll probably you know never achieve, but you know that you can if you really grab life by the horns. So where where are you from, Seth? So a bit about myself. I am from uh, a small hamlet
1: called. Uh Called Mountain View, and I went to school there for um, for kindergarten up until grade nine. And at that point, I went to high school in Cartston, which is um, which is another small town, 30 minutes away from the Montana border. And it's it's a small town with I would say 50% of the population being Mormon, and 50% of the population being um, being First Nations. And so I grew up on a farm. Um, I had, I have nine siblings. I am the eighth. Um, I have six sisters and th- three brothers. And so with any conversation I have with any older sibling, it always feels like I'm being parented. And it's not a bad thing always getting advice from people who you love. It's just a little bit overwhelming at times when you mention something that's going on in your life and then you have six people, no, more than six people giving you their input on where they were at your stage in life and what you they think
0: you should be doing. Yeah. Do you do you ever get like completely different advice from different siblings
1: oh yes i have gotten um a lot of different advice from siblings as well i've got a sister who lives down in uh pocatello right now okay and whenever i chat with her she's like oh well you should consider moving down to the states i'd love to see another sibling settle down in america and with her case it was a bit different when my parents got married my mom was from, uh, originally from Nevada, in Reno, and my dad is also from this small farm town called Cartston. And he, after finishing his mission for the LDS Church, went to an institution operated by the LDS Church called, at that time, Rex College, which is mm. now BYU-Idaho. Yeah. So he went to Rex College and was pursuing a degree in social justice. Really? Yes. He was on track to become, well, he was doing two at once. He was doing a social justice degree and he was doing an agriculture degree. And he wanted to become a lawyer originally. And that was why he moved down because he knew that law or becoming a lawyer was a lot, you'd have a lot more weight behind your degree Mm -hmm. coming from America than you would becoming a lawyer in Canada and then, trying to move somewhere else, you would actually have some substance behind your education. Oh, okay. And so he was doing that, and I'm not really sure why he was pursuing two at once, doing a agriculture degree and a social degree at the same time. Like, they're not, they don't share any any of the same classes.
0: Yeah, yeah, but I I guess, I mean, it kind of makes sense, too, though. Yeah, a I mean. A little bit
1: for a, for a young man who can't decide what they want to do like well I like farming but I also like the idea of being a lawyer
0: yeah. so I'll just become a farming lawyer yeah yeah I mean then the knowledge of each could apply mm-hmm. in both areas right so that's interesting so and then what happened with your dad well my
1: dad when he was at Ricks he was working through his degree and from what he tells me, he was going on a date every single night of the week, as many dates as he could go on. Holy he cow. Would, well, yeah, well, because it, it was Rick's college, and he said sometimes it wasn't necessarily a full date where, like, he'd take a girl out to a movie or like they'd go out and do something funny. It's like sometimes it'd just be as simple as having. A, an hour long conversation with a girl mm, Yeah, and w- I would just talk with as many girls as I could and try and get my foot in the door with, with into anyone's heart that I could. It's yeah. like, cause at that point he was 24, almost 25 and he basically just wanted to move on with his life. Yeah. And so initially what happened was he is going on dates with this one girl who he was kind of interested in. And he shows up at her apartment, and he ends up finding her roommate. And he knew that the girl that he was dating, she she had this roommate that really didn't like him. Like, she had, um, his girlfriend had been quite vocal about how much this roommate had disliked my dad. So my dad shows up, and he's like, oh, well, she's not home. She's like, no, she's not, but you're welcome to stay and wait if you want. And her, this roommate went into the kitchen and started doing dishes. And my dad's like, well, what are you doing? And she's like, well, I'm, I'm cleaning the kitchen. I'm doing dishes. Yeah. He's like, well, if you want to clean the rest of the kitchen, I can take care of the dishes. And she's like, really? That's kind of strange. Like, this isn't your house. Why are you looking to clean up? He's like, you know, just, I mean, my girlfriend lives here. I'd like to help keep the place as clean as possible. Yeah. And so the roommate was like, oh, well, that's kind of nice. And the roommate actually ended up not coming home that night. And so my dad was like, well, would you mind going out for a
0: date? <laughs> Wait, but your dad was dating.
1: The dating
0: roommate... as in, like, they had been two or three dates in. So it wasn't, like, quite official. It wasn't official, but something was... Something was in the works. And then your dad was just like, well, she never showed up, so... Yeah, she missed
1: her chance. And the roommate was my mom. That's awesome. And later, when my mom told the story, she's like, I was generally just impressed that a young man wanted to stay and help clean up a mess that wasn't his. And she's like, and that showed to me um, an attribute for a young man who would be good to marry, where he'd be cleaning up a lot of kids' messes that weren't his. Yeah. And boy, did he have a lot of kids. Oh, boy. Oh, (laughs) boy. (laughs) He cleaned up a lot of messes in his day.
0: Seriously. Well, that's awesome. So that's how your parents got together, and then they moved up here. How'd they end up in Mountain View?
1: So the story behind that was when my parents married – my grandparents in in Twin Falls because my grandparents had relocated from Reno to to Twin Falls okay. for my grandfather's work, and and my grandparents were worried. They're like, we don't actually like they met my dad and they were quite pleased with him. Yep. They're like, well, we don't really know if this young man's going to show up for the ceremony tomorrow, like the, for the ceiling. What? So like because he had to drive. It was during semesters that they're getting married. Okay. And like, so he said that he was going to be driving from Canada to Twin Falls and they weren't quite sure what was going on. They're like, well, if he shows up tomorrow, great. If he doesn't, then
0: you might be just left at the altar with a very expensive dress. <laughs> Wait, actually, they weren't sure if he was going to show up? They were quite concerned about it. Really? Was it, was it because of him? Or, I think it of was the distance, road conditions, distance.
1: Like. It was just the distance that concerned them. Yeah, they were so thinking. They, so
0: they knew that like they'd get married eventually, but he might not manage to get there on the right day.
1: Well, they're thinking he might get cold feet, and I was thinking, well, I mean, my dad's a pretty upstanding guy. I mean, from what I know of him, I don't know him as a young man. I know him as an older man. Yeah, maybe they just got a bad reading of him at some point, and they're like, well. Maybe he'll just, like, walk out on our daughter and just not come back and pick really? her up. And I was like, holy crap. Like, that, that's really sad. And so my dad's like, "But I was committed to the relationship. I was committed to marrying this girl. And so I got up at 5 o'clock in the morning, did my chores on the farm. And as soon as I was done, <laughs> he's like, I got in my car. And yeah. I drove the 14 hours to Twin Falls, Idaho. And I got into Twin Falls at 1130 at night. I didn't want to bother my, my future in-laws, and so I just slept in my car the night before my wedding. <laughs> Holy and, cow. And my family came down right behind me. They, they rented out hotels and didn't tell me. <laughs> He's like, and so I slept in a car. They slept in nice beds, and yeah. it, was, it was great. We had a wonderful ceremony, and we've, been, we've had a wonderful family.
0: Holy cow. So he drove down the, night before, his the night before his wedding got there almost at midnight so his in-laws didn't even know that he had arrived no, no so
1: that morning my grandpa, my grandpa had woken up early to start mm-hmm. preparing looked out his window and saw uh, a young man sleeping in a blue Camaro in his driveway he goes and knocks on the window and he's like oh Kendall it's you wonderful he's like well come in get dressed get showered we'll, we'll take you to the temple
0: holy cow That's nuts. That's so funny. I mean, I've lived in my car, but I never thought that I would live in my car the day before I... The day before your wedding. Before my wedding, yeah. That's crazy. Holy cow. I love that he, like, does his chores on the farm before... Well, he had to at that point. My dad was... um, He also has ten siblings. Okay.
1: So, if you're still listening by this point, you're beginning to see a pattern with my... With my dad's family. It's they a have, big family. It's like a large family.
0: How many kids do you have, Seth? I have zero. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I am not married. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Um. But, so, but ten to
1: come, right? No, not ten to come. My plans for children is max at four. Okay. I, I want to shorten the
0: family okay, size. Yeah. Because that I've got sense. ten
1: siblings. And each of them... We'll have at least four children. Like, yeah. So three of my older sisters are done having kids, but they've had four kids apiece. Yeah. So that's
0: already twelve. Twelve children. Yeah. Holy cow. That that is a big family. I mean, I come from a family of seven, but I feel like ten is like the next level. <laughs> that's crazy. Man. The family
1: reunions are bumping. Like we no longer. All fit inside a single house so we have to go to the church and block off the gymnasium beca- and it's perfect because we can rent a bouncy house for the kids set up tables and play games as adults it's it's honestly super great
0: yeah yeah so how um, oh but to get back yeah. to
1: the to my dad so he is the youngest of his family and by the time my dad was born his dad was in his 50s like late 50s and so by the time my dad was 25 grandpa was 76 wow and so there was still a lot that needed to be done on the farm and so dad was like well i guess responsibility is my responsibility yeah and he did his work and
0: he left as soon as he was done wow man so and then is this the same farm that your parents are on now
1: yes so this farm has been in my gen- my family for what is it now five generations? Really, five generations of people. And the interesting story about it is with Mountain View. When originally it first got settled, it um, it had no one in it. Like the RCMP kind of had a general area running from the small town of Carston, which had a populace of maybe 100 people in town center, all the way out to the Glacier National Park, which is Waterton. And there was just a stretch of road between there that was still like, kind of wild and uncivilized back in the 1800s. Mm-hmm. And so Mountain View at that point, the only citizens of the small hamlet were bootleggers, people who ran alcohol. Yeah. And so the RCMP was like, well, we technically own, the government owns all the land from the end of Glacier National Park to this town. And they said, So your task is if you can arrest the bootleggers, you can have your pick of land within Mountain View. And he's like, well, it wasn't called Mountain View then it was called Fish Fish's Creek. Yeah. And so he went, did his task, and they gave him choices of land plots of land to pick from. Yeah. And he picked originally a large plot of land at around twenty Two thousand acres and it included the circumference of a lake so he named it pain lake yeah and he kept this this farmland but as time moved on he wanted to be a little bit further away from the rest of the town that was now becoming and so he started trading off portions of his farm for other acreages that he that he liked like further into the area okay and so the government came back And they ended up buying Payne Lake, titled it as such. And so, to this day, you can go down to Mountain View, head on the number two highway to Waterton, and you'll see a sign leading you to Payne Lake. Hmm. And so, my great-great-grandfather was the original settler of Mountain View. Yeah, that's awesome. So, my family's been there for years, decades. Yeah, probably over a century now. Yeah, over a century now. Yeah, and... And it's interesting, like, the more you look into the history of the town, like, it's, or not the town, the little hamlet, the more I just become, like, more impressed with who my great-grandfather was and the amount of work that he was able to do to have such a large farm at around 30 years of age. Yeah. And and it was great.
0: That's awesome. Wow. So, and then so that's where your family has all come from and and progressed and moved forward this way and now you know you come from a family of early Canadian settlers mm-hmm. who who by the way you know most of your ancestors weren't even considered Canadian yet cause there wasn't even Canadian citizenship till 1947 this is correct and and so You know they were still technically British citizens that lived in Canada Mm -hmm. which is kind of weird but so then yeah your family does all this farming they you know your dad went to Rick's College and progressed on this way and now you live in North Calgary the biggest city in the province and so how do you how do you go from living on a farm to ending up up here So
1: the story behind that is when I was, I think I was four because I remember my oldest sibling being at home, but I remember my, no, I was, I was six. I remember my oldest sibling being at home, but my youngest uh, sibling was just a, just a baby, like just a newly born baby. Yeah. My dad had pulled all of us into the room and he said, well, kids, um, now that everyone is in well, this is kind of a like the first chat, the first family session that I remember him having. He's like, At some point, I'm going to want to pass this farm on to one of you children. He's like, This farm has been in the family for five generations. I would like it to stay within my family. And and all my siblings at that point are kind of like, Well, not for me. And so like, my oldest sister when my parents were married, they were living still in Montana. Okay. And so that's why she moved to America. was because she has dual citizenship. She, oh, okay. Yeah. So it was, it was easiest for her. And she also went to Rick's and obviously found a husband and is now settled there. Yeah. But then progressively, as the siblings moved away, they're kind of like, eh, it'll go to the next sibling. It'll, it'll, it'll go to the next sibling. And so everyone just kind of, my first sibling, moved to the States, and then um, everyone else moved to Calgary. My mm-hmm. second oldest sister, she got uh, accepted into the degree into a uh, program at UFC in the Bachelor of Silent Science. Silence. Silence, yes. She's a master at making people shut up. <laughs> <laughs> but she was accepted into the Bachelor's for Science, and... She convinced my second oldest or third oldest sister to move in with her, and she later got accepted into a program at Mount Royal College, which is now Mount Royal University. Mm-hmm. And then ever since then, all my siblings have just come to Calgary because that's where every single sibling has been.
0: Really? So is it just your oldest sibling that lives in Idaho? Yes. um, Just my oldest sibling who lives out of country in Idaho. She yeah.
1: She really likes America, I understand it's a great country, yeah, lots of fattening food products that are easily available
0: yeah <laughs> I mean here too, but anyways, yeah, 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 okay, and yeah, but like uh <laughs> to move on,
1: so when it came time for me to move on, my dad had every year continued to have these family chats about who wants to take the family farm on, who. Who should it go to? Yeah. And it came down to me. And as I'm the last boy, he's like, well, I have talked with your older brothers. They have no interest in coming back. My my oldest brother passed away. Okay. And then my second oldest brother is a financial advisor. And he's like, I don't see the point in living in Calgary, being a financial advisor and owning a farm. He's like, I'm out. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not becoming a farmer. Yeah. My... My third oldest brother has his seal in mechanics. Oh, cool. Yeah, he's a, he's a journeyman. And he's also like, Dad, I want to stay in Calgary. This is where work is. This is where I can progress with my career. I'm out. Yeah. And so he he talked to me. He's like, well, Seth, here's the situation. None of your siblings seem to want the farm. What about you? And I was like, well... I'm also out. (laughs) I don't want to own the farm unless it's on like very, very, very specific conditions. Because I go, what would it have to be? I was like, in all honesty, I don't want to run a farm. I don't want to live on a farm anymore. Growing up on this plot of land was not the most enjoyable experience ever. Really? The... So, I'll tell you something that I've heard a lot. Growing up in, like, Carsten's a great place to be from. It's not a great place to grow up because there's only a couple of amenities. There's the theater. Yeah. There's the LDS Temple, if you happen to be LDS. There's a swimming pool open four months of the year. (laughs) And it's not a big pool either. It's not a big pool either. I think but they're
0: renovating it right now, I
1: think. And now has a water slide. But, oh, cool. Oh, but when I was growing up, it was just a standard pool. Yeah. Like a tiny little waiting pool for children and then a larger pool for adults. Yeah. And it wasn't super great. Yeah. And those were the things you did in Karsten. And growing up on farms, like, you had access to firearms and stuff. So you could go shooting, like, uh, rodents and pests and do some form of crowd control there but it it was a good experience growing up on a farm mm-hmm. but it was not an experience I wanted to replicate with my future family it uh, because farming is no longer a business that is lucrative in 2007 or 6 when the mad mad cow disease hit mm-hmm it really struck a blow to farmers and ranchers within Alberta and they have not bounced back ever since and they never will. It is just, it is sort of seen as a unnecessary way of life that can kind of be like shoveled under the rug, which I also find really sad because that is how my past generations of family were able to make an income through farming and so it I don't know it's kind of something that I hold close to heart but
0: I don't want to be too close to it as well yeah do you think that farming has kind of I mean you call it a way of life has it gone from being a way of life for people where they live on the farm and they work on the farm and that's their literally their bread and their butter or and then now, so it used to be that way, and now has it shifted away from that, where now it's you you know you hire people who come out and work on your farm? Um, I've seen both, but farming now should be classified
1: as an expensive hobby because it you put a lot of money into raising your cattle, you put a lot of money into equipment repairs and Mm -hmm. to fixing your fences and into buying seed for your cattle or feed. And it is still very much a way of life, but it is like, it is so expensive now that farmers are not just farmers anymore. They are contractors who leave the farm during the day to go do work somewhere else and then come back at night and start work on what they really what brings them brings life. Like this is from what I've seen within my community. I I know men who who had a farm but they would they would take hunters out on like they'd be trail guides for hunters. Oh yeah. They would go to factories within Lethbridge to, to get a job and then come back in the evening and do work. They mm-hmm. would work on someone else's farm and then come back on their own farm and do the exact same amount of work. Yeah, It was just the, a matter of where you're able to find money and then divert it into your opportunity of business. And that is what it is now. It's more a very basic form of business that is not lucrative at all.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it's a very... It's a complicated business. It's not, it's not, you're not living the simple life if you choose to be a farmer.
1: You're not living the simple life and you're not choosing a luxurious life either. Yeah. It's, it's like I said, it's an expensive hobby. It takes a lot of money to upkeep everything. Yeah. And especially trying to live on property as well and like have all your animals and all of your other hobbies going. It's, it's just not conducive to to having a good, <laughs> a good source of income.
0: Yeah, yeah. So now, since you're not on the farm and you don't have an intention of being on the farm, what are you doing in Calgary?
1: I am currently uh, attending school at Sate, becoming an electrician. Okay. I, I'm in a program right now called the Electrician's pre- Pre-Employment Program. And in two weeks, I am going to write my trade qualifying exam to
0: become a first-year apprentice. And, and then you, the way it works, you work for how long, and then you go back to school for a little bit, a couple months or whatever?
1: Um, so how it works is you attend school for two to three months, and then they have a mandated amount of hours that you must work before you can return to school. Okay. And for first year and second year, you need to work 1,500 hours before you can go back. And then third year, you need to work 1,200.
0: And then fourth year, you need to work 1,100. Okay. And is there any specific amount of time that you have to work within that?
1: Yes. um, you You just need to work 1,500 hours, and then you can apply for school. But what I found out as soon as I applied for school was you can't, You can't do more than one program in the same year. So, if I once I finish my program as first year, yeah, and once I accumulate those 1500 hours, I can't just apply for second year and attend it in the same year as 2018. I have to wait until 2019.
0: Okay, interesting. So,
1: they, they make you stretch over four years and you to really get all of
0: the knowledge you need in the trade under your belt. Yeah, so do most people end up exceeding? the amount of re- required work hours then by quite a bit. Oh, yes.
1: I uh, I was talking with both of my instructors and in one of one of them in their first year worked 3600 hours before he had applied for his second year. Holy schooling. cow,
0: so that's more than twice as much. That's yeah,
1: more than twice his requirements, but they will only take 1500 hours and tack it on to your first
0: year. Yeah, you can't and, carry it over at all. Well,
1: you can carry over a certain portion, but it's only something like like 300 hours, three or four hundred hours. And so out of those 3,600 hours that he had worked, only, what was 1,900 of them actually counted
0: for time worked. Yeah, but I mean, he got paid during the whole thing too. So.
1: I'm sure he got paid. Yeah. It was just the amount of time the government of Alberta was willing to count towards his, his schooling.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I mean, the next year he would have gotten out of school and started working again and, Probably exceeded the hours again
1: oh yeah right? and yeah. but I've seen that to be the case as well like my brother when he started his seal as a mechanic he did the exact same thing like he went to school and since he couldn't return to school in that same year he said well I, I'm gonna continue working and I think he got to 1900 hours before he did return to school and is it the same 1500 requirement I th- I'm not sure if it's the same between all trades but I do remember that a mechanic had to work somewhere between 13 to 1500 hours. Okay. So, and some trades are a little bit shorter. Like I've got a friend who's into, Oh, what is it? Non-destructive testing.
0: He only oh, I've heard about that. Mm-hmm. Not, not your friend. Somebody else was telling me about that. Explain what that is. So non-destructive testing is a very unique form of, um,
1: work that has just cropped up within the last like ever since the oil boom started is when these people have needed to be an employee yeah and what they do is they they check lines and lines of pipe running up and down like northern Alberta yeah that run oil from their from their oil wells to the plant and then from the plant wherever else they process it yeah and it's called non-destructive testing because they have a series of like scientific methods of testing piping without dismantling destroying or degrading it in any way Hmm. and so they can look at a piece of pipe and they can determine how structurally sound it is how much material is passing through it at any given moment how many how much of a lifetime that's material has before it needs to get replaced and it doesn't just apply to piping it also applies to bridges to foundations of houses he was telling me the other day that when he first started his boss who had to take him along because he's an apprentice and he's essentially a child being led along yeah his boss was called to the Devon Tower downtown Mm -hmm. to check the foundations of the building and to see like whether whether or not it was sound for, like, stuff to continue getting built above it. And so if...
0: Oh, yeah, they're adding a penthouse on top of yeah, it.
1: And yeah, and so before any major work is done on a, on a building downtown, you need to have an NDT tester come and evaluate the situation. If he says no, then they have to bring their building up to code before the non-destructive testers can agree that, yes, it is safe.
0: Yeah. Huh. That's cool. Uh, and that's a fairly recent trait that's cropped up, right?
1: Uh, yeah, I'd say it's fairly recent. Like, I was also looking into getting into this program, and within the province, uh, they have maybe 300 men who have all the, all the necessary requirements to be a tester. So there's not a lot of people in the workforce, but it is, it is very good. It is needed. But getting into the trade is tough because it's again a very small
0: majority of the workforce within Alberta. Yeah, it's pretty niche. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Okay, so and then you're you're in the electricians program. How far into that are you? Um, I am ten weeks into my
1: twelve week program, and I and by when you say. How far are you into it? You mean like how much knowledge have I gained?
0: Or like, sure, uh, yeah. I mean, cool. time, because you, you were saying it's about four years that they stretch it over. Uh, yeah, it's about four years. Is that for the master's?
1: No, so the master's is something different. So it's just four years to get a general journeyman's red seal. Yeah. That allows you to, to work in any province in Alberta with the exception of Quebec. Province in Canada provinces in Canada sorry yeah. so because in <coughs> Quebec to become uh, a journeyman you need to write uh an exam in French and not a lot of people want to work in Quebec anyways and so yeah they, they they stay where they are and we just have the breadth of Canada to work from yeah but a master seal is you have to hold a journeyman's certificate for 3 years before you can even consider challenging the master seal, because what it is, is it wants you to know the building codes behind the electric, the electrical trade. Yeah. It wants you to know essentially everything you will need to wire up a house, wire up an industrial building, wire up a commercial setting for a strip mall. And it covers a large basis. Cause all of those have different codes. All of them have have different codes. Which is crazy. Like like for an example, a residential house within Calgary will have a max voltage of 150 volts. Like that's the the voltage incoming to the house. And that's the max that you can utilize within your house unless you have uh, a stove, which is rated at 240. Then you make certain conditions for that unit. Okay. Whereas a strip mall will start at a 1,000 volts and will go up to maybe 5,000. Yeah. And then if you go into industrial, you can go anywhere from 10,000 up to 200,000 volts. Holy cow. That's nuts.
0: And that's all just because of the different power requirements and safety it, regulations it, and stuff, right?
1: Exactly. Like um, something that would be using 200,000 volts of electricity would be plants of that need to supply water plants that need to supply electricity. You need electricity to generate electricity.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, so that like the, the power grid is something that just blows my mind. The whole system that is in place. When I think about how many power lines run above us, under us and are around generating you know energy's being generated by windmills solar panels uh, power plants nu- nuclear plants like all of this stuff it's all generating electricity and then where does it go it goes all over the place mm-hmm. like there are wires connecting my house to my neighbor's house to that house to that house to that house and if you follow it you get to your house and you get to my dad's house and you get you know everywhere on this grid and it's, it's crazy. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you're obviously not an expert. You're just getting going in the electrician's program. Um, but how how connected is Canada, grid-wise? Um, grid-wise,
1: um, I'd say every city is can sustain its own populace. Okay. So, But the only thing, and so I would not say that every city is connected to every other city. Yeah. We might, like, have some power lines running simple, like, communications power to and from other cities. But the one thing that is connecting every city is fiber optics cable for internet. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. One thing that that I was taught was you will have fiber optics running from city to city to city because... You cannot have a wireless connection for a population of 10 million people. It mm. needs cables of, yeah. of data to be able to input it and then outsource it from a certain plant within a city. And, and all communications cable, like all fiber optics, yeah. come from overseas. And so we literally have cables running on the bottom of the seafloor connecting us from Quebec's side of Canada and it's Montreal, New York, like every major city along the eastern seaboard is connected to UK for internet.
0: Really? Mm-hmm. Wow, that's crazy. That's crazy how connected everything is. And I guess you you get to see that more firsthand working in the electricians program.
1: Well, we have an opportunity to see stuff like that. Yeah. Like, um, There was actually a really good documentary on the guy who first figured out how to run communications cable, like internet cabling from UK to America. And it, it's insane. Like the amount of wiring that has to go into this cable and the amount of protection that it needs is staggering. We were shown an underground cable the other day and for a tiny little cable at maybe a millimeter for the cross-sectional area, it needs at least three feet of protection because it has to go underwater. It has to survive all of these elements. And communications cable is pure glass as well. Okay. So yeah. at lower temperatures, it will break and shatter in in the sea. Yeah. And so they have to prevent this at all costs because once a communications cable breaks or shatters then that entire feed is disrupted and so if someone was able to break one of those lines then they would be able to disrupt and the network for most of canada and people would be in a riot because people can live with power people can live with food but if you take away luxuries that's when they really start getting upset (laughs) yeah
0: holy cow man that's just that blows my mind the modern world i feel like i feel like i've time traveled from the past and i'm living in the future i feel that way whenever i go to the dentist or whenever i drive my car like i've got this carriage that you know pulls me around four wheels i can get wherever whenever i want roads it's crazy how connected everything is eh Mm -hmm. so so on that line of coolness what would you say is the coolest thing you have ever done before we start getting into your future and what what you see for oh, your future
1: coolest thing i've ever done i don't know i i like to think i've had a pretty interesting life like when i was in high school i joined a rugby team yeah and i was also on the football team and i was also on a basketball team and with basketball and football and rugby, I was able to get to provincials with every single sport. Holy cow, really yeah i the only sport I was able to get a championship in was football, yeah, but with basketball we got we got bronze, yeah, with football, we went once and we we beat the entire province, so we got gold, yeah, and then both times I went for rugby, we got silver, so we were second best <laughs> team in the province, which. Is a great goal. Yeah. And it was amazing. Um, but one of the coolest experiences I think I've ever had was being able to go over to Africa. Yeah. And and serve a mission there and, and talk with people there. The amount like like our lifestyle here is very much taken for granted. Being able to go back essentially an age and see how people are coping with their old traditions and trying to bring in the new world is again, mind blowing. Like you look at these people who go to a well in the morning at four o'clock, draw their water and then go up and then dump that water into a washing machine and then start their families washing for the day is Holy crazy. Cow, really? Yeah. And you'll still have people who walk miles to go shopping. Like they'll the balance bags on their heads. They'll carry them, they'll take an entire family out or like rent a taxi yeah and and it's crazy, like the amount of knowledge and the amount of time it takes for these people to complete simple chores like laundry takes them hours if they're still in a stage or where technology really hasn't caught up to them or where they don't have access to the full breadth of comforts that we do,
0: yeah. Wow. So talking about taking away luxuries. These people really, like if you're like, Oh, your power's getting cut,
1: they're like, Cool, I'm gonna go start a fire in the backyard and cook dinner. Really? Literally, like I would walk into people's houses and be like, Well, the power got cut out tonight but we're still having dinner. My husband's just out back on the uh on the fire and we're making dinner out there. I was like, Really? You're having we're cooking dinner over fire? That's that's awesome. She's like, Oh yeah like this is this is great
0: yeah that's cool because i mean that's something and i i say it's cool but if it happened to me like if the power got cut right now i'd be like dang it it's minus 25 outside i'm like there's so much snow i'm like how am i gonna make my food i'd be like i guess i'm just eating my apples and cliff bars for the next week (laughs) you know and yeah we have a totally totally different perspective so that perspective that you gained there how's that going to affect you moving forward into Seth's future Uh,
1: well okay I was taught a couple lessons there when I was serving in Africa it was it was kind of like you can't take for granted the luxuries you have in life Mm -hmm. and like looking at these people they work extremely hard every single day to put food on their table and I was kind of blown back at the amount of work that some people put in like I would talk with men who would get up at four o'clock in the morning get home at midnight and spend what time they could with their wife or maybe an hour go to sleep get back up at four o'clock the next morning and go back to work like they would work their basically work the skin off their hands because they want to be breadwinners for their families they just have such a strong worth at work ethic and such a strong idea of what it means to be successful that it kind of just pushed me into thinking where I want to be later in life. Like when I got home, I was thinking, well, I'd like to run a business of my own of some kind. Mm-hmm. Farming is not an option. It is not, <laughs> not something I want to pursue later in life. I don't yeah. really have the skills to jump into any other market. But one area in which Canada luckily has a lot of freedom is the trades. If you're a tradesman and you want to run your own business, you are not limited to how big or how small you want to be. If you just want to be a one-man army in a van running to service calls in someone's house or in someone's business, then you can totally do it. Or if you want to start a company from the ground up, where you have just yourself and another guy and eventually over the course of years you get to have 200 employees. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. And from what I saw with other people who have started their own businesses within trades is that like the potential is limitless.
0: Like however big you want to be is however big you will be. That's sweet. That's awesome. So, uh, I, I know you, you're like one of the hardest working people I know. And you're also one of the most ambitious people I know. I'm assuming you're, you're looking at doing like an electrician's company. Kind I, of thing. Like that's your, is that your goal? What's kind of your idea? So
1: here? my goal for, so I'll tell you my 10 year plan. I have four years that I have to put into getting my red seal mm-hmm. and becoming a journeyman then I have to wait three years before I become a master electrician. Yeah. And a unique thing about becoming a master or about being a journeyman is you can't work on your own. Like you can't start a company on your own. There is a law restricting you in Canada where you cannot pull a worker's permit as a journeyman unless you are under a company's name and label. Okay, And you cannot... Pull wiring or schematic diagrams for someone's house unless you're a master electrician really Mm -hmm. and so it saves people or saves lower employees from doing their own work on someone's housing and then saying oh well my company sent me to do this and yeah it's totally justified no you have to have a master electrician pull schematics on someone's house and so by doing that that limits Who can create companies? It Mm -hmm. is master electricians who start up these electrical companies. Yeah, and so that's where I need to get to in seven years, and in ten years, hopefully, I have five employees, myself and four other guys. Yeah, in twenty years, I want to be at a point where I can say, you know what, I am the boss. I want to go to every single project, see that things are going well, but not be too tied down with any project unless it's a massive a
0: massive task yeah yeah you want to delegate that authority to employees so that they can accomplish the their tasks
1: yeah exactly yeah. i'd like to get to a point within 20 years where i can say you know what no one's called me today my employees are all taken care of I'm gonna spend today with my family
0: yeah 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 but only four kids not 10
1: only four kids this is correct
0: that's awesome. That's really cool. Well, uh, do you have any other big plans for your future, Seth?
1: Oh, other big plans. I, like any other young person, want to see what is outside of my own country. I mean, I've been to Africa, and I've I lived there for two years, and so I got to see a lot of unique cultural things, but... I also want to go to other countries, like I want to go, I'm planning a trip to Japan to go see the Rugby World Cup. Which I'm coming with. Yep, you are invited. Yeah, And I also want to go and see New Zealand. I, I love rugby, okay? It is one of my hobbies, it is, one, it is a sport that I hold so close to my heart that even though I no longer play it, I still follow the teams that I love. Because yeah. it taught me so many good work ethics. Like, it taught me to work well with a team. It taught me to work well with instruction under pressure, which was crucial because, like, in the field, oftentimes a, a boss will tell you, Well, you've got an hour to do this project. This is what needs to happen
0: and go. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that's awesome. So, it's, it's really cool because, I mean, this show, one of my New Year's resolutions, as I've told you, is to listen better right so this show does two things for me it's meant to help me listen to people better because I talk a lot and and so and the other purpose of it is to help you know show people how cool just normal people are and and show where people come from and what their story is so it's really interesting to see how the efforts of your you know great great grandparents all the way down to you know your parents and growing up on a farm doing rugby getting work ethic right working hard figuring out what you want and then looking to the future how that's all impacted your life in such an interesting way so that's that's really really cool to see that pattern happen so thanks for Being my very first guest, Seth, and hanging out with me in my room, which is a disaster right now (laughs) because I'm doing spring cleaning in the middle of February. (laughs) But uh, just because, I mean, you don't say I'm doing winter cleaning. It's spring cleaning always. So awesome. Thank you, Seth.
1: Well, you're welcome. Thanks for the time.
0: My pleasure.